Welcome to One-on-One with Ilion, a podcast featuring the activists, celebrities, and politicians who have made it their mission to make the world a better place. If you are looking for some do-good inspiration, stay right there. And now, here is your host, Ilion Ramos. I'm here today with Pedro Giraudo, who is a amazingly talented musician. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a true pleasure to be talking with you. Let's start with Argentina. Tell me about Argentina, where in Argentina are you from, and all of that good stuff. I'm originally from Argentina. The little known fact is that I'm from La Plata originally, although I consider myself, and most people consider myself from Córdoba, But I was born there and I left when I was very young and eventually spent the most important years of my development, I would say, in Córdoba. And that's actually where I became a musician. Grew up in a family of musicians. My father was a conductor. So I was exposed to not only classical music, but all kinds of music from a very early age. I started playing some piano, a little bit of violin. And when I hit my teenager years, as most teenagers do, I rebelled and I really didn't want to play anymore. But the music was stronger. And when I turned 16, I actually came back. And after the suggestion of a dear friend of mine who is now in Seattle, I joined his band and bought an electric bass and started playing as most people of my generation did in Argentina. We did not play tango or folk music from Argentina. We played rock. Okay, in Spanish. Claro, rock in Spanish, exactly. Oh. Listening to, you know, uh, Espineta, Fito Paez, right. Garcia, and so on. And eventually, you know, I, maybe because of my uh, musical background, I started to look into music that was a bit more sophisticated uh, than rock and started very much enjoying uh, jazz and uh, jazz fusion, which was very hot at the time. And to make the, the story short, that led me to move to New York in 1996, when I was 19 years old, to actually spend all my time studying jazz, which was my passion back in the day. And that's what I, you know, all my formal studies were in that department. I did my undergrad at the Manhattan School of Music, and then I did my master's at the City College, where I had the huge privilege to study with Ron Carter, the legendary bass player of Miles Davis, among many others. Oh, wow. Exactly. Although for many years I had the idea to return, but I never missed much. There was kind of a love at first sight with New York. When I came here, I actually auditioned at Miami too. And I remember that was kind of my first stop from Argentina. And I remember just loving that whole, all the, you know, the campuses of the universities with all the grass and all the students and the sun and all the amazing buildings. And then I took another plane and landed in New York and took the subway and saw all the rats in the subway and everything. And that, of course, made me fall in love with the city immediately. (laughs) So I guess all the stars were aligned. I got a very generous scholarship here. So I decided to move. And New York has been my home since. Uh, But let me go back a bit to the tango story. So although I was focusing strongly in learning about the jazz tradition and the, the culture and the language and everything... I guess there were not too many tango bass players. And I guess just because I was from Argentina, people started calling me to play. And the more I played it, the more I enjoyed the music and fell in love with it. And there was a big turning point. Until then, actually, from the year 2000 and on, I started leading my own big band. 
with which I recorded several albums. But in the year 2014, because actually a really sad occurrence, I started my own tango band. And that's because of a very, very dear friend of mine, Octavio Brunetti, an extraordinary uh, friend and a tango piano player, passed away very early, you know, very young. He was 38. And the Lincoln Center asked me to do a tribute for him since his last performance was playing at Lincoln Center. We did a show at the Summer Night Swing. And so I did. And once I started writing all the arrangements to honor him, I really fell in love with the tango tradition. And I, of course, spent a lot of time kind of the same way I had been studying the jazz tradition, transcribing and listening to all the records and seeing where the tradition was coming from. I started really getting deeper and deeper into tango and I started my own ensemble then. After that, actually, I started to see, and this is very practical, although I love both my projects as much, you know, my jazz and, or my tango projects, it was significantly easier to book the tango ensembles. And I started to get a lot of work with it. And of course, I loved that idea and I started composing. And that led me to record our first album uh, titled Vigor Tanguero. And another surprise came, which was that it got nominated for a Latin Grammy. Uh, Yeah, and that was in the year 2019. And we won. (laughs) Wow. Congratulations. So, yeah, I'm still uh, enjoying. Outstanding. Wow. And this is just after you've recorded your first record. Exactly. Oh, my God. Total surprise. I remember my producer called me like he was totally in awe. And yeah, so we won. And actually, that was a kind of a big game changer for us. Not that it made things easier, but a lot of doors that were closed before we could, you know, knock on them again with a different kind of set of keys in our hands. (laughs) So, uh, So it kind of made our work much more focused. And then I still keep my big band active, but uh, I have to say most of my effort goes into performing and booking the town quartet, which is kind of my main weapon, if I may say so, as a way to present my music and the, the music that I hear in my mind. Well, thank you for that story. And thank you to the rats that made you fall in love with New York, because now you're here. I appreciate it. Next time I see one, I'll thank it. (laughs) But I want to go back to the tango, because I know with musicians, and I don't know if this is your story as well, there's usually one musician that you look up to. Who is the musician, the tanguero or whoever that you look up to that inspires you as you compose your music? Well, if I think for more than one second, it's an impossible question to answer right. because there are so many people that I admire. It's like choosing your favorite writer. I mean, there are so many people who did wonderful things with words and the same thing can be said about musical notes. But if I answer quickly, I have to say in the tango reign, kind of the composer that actually changed me and changed the whole generation and changed pretty much single-handedly the tango tradition was Astor Piazzolla. You know, he was... Uh, one, oh exactly, yeah. Responsible for taking the music off the dance floor and taking it to the concert hall with really marvelous music. And he's a model that I both look up to not only as an extraordinary composer, but also as an outstanding performer. I mean, every time I see a YouTube video of him playing, I realize just the the emotional power the guy had just so much giving. And also... Spanish Cortavena, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's got your name, so listen to it. It's so beautiful. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And also as a kind of a, as a career model, because the guy, although he actually tasted fame only at the very end of his career, but he was somebody who was always exploring, always trying new things. And it's somebody that I look up to on a daily basis on all these different angles, as a composer, as a performer, and as a musician, as a businessman. <laughs> I know that people listening cannot see, but I have... Mari Mate, what do you call this container? Can you talk to me about Mate? Because I love it. When I went to Argentina last time in 2019, I got me this in my supply of Mate. So <laughs> I don't have it every day, but I love it. I love it. It gives you so much energy, which is what I like, right? It's 10 times more potent than coffee. Oh, my God. So tell me a little bit about that. Is that your favorite drink? You're Argentinian, so it has to be. Actually, I'm an avid mate drinker. And now maybe I drink it every other day, but I think probably until my late 30s, I would drink a whole thermos every day. Also during my college days, I would drink much more than that. And also for a long time, I used to collect mates or borongos as they're also known. For the people who are not familiar with this tradition, the mate is kind of a dried gourd that you fill up three quarters with yerba mate or tea leaves. Then we have a metal straw called a bombilla which has kind of a bit of a filter so you don't actually drink all the leaves. <laughs> or <eat them. laughs> and it's a drink that, so you put water in it and you sip it, it's usually short. And the kind of the most beautiful thing about the mate is that, of course, you can drink it by yourself, but it's usually shared. It's something kind of a going around the circle kind of drink when you're sharing an afternoon or a morning. Of course, that was pre-pandemic, I imagine, because I exactly. can possibly <laughs> in this life and time. So my goodness. Yeah, actually, recently, when I was in Argentina, we had two kind of families getting together for the holidays. And when we were outside in the garden and we had two matters, you know, for each family group. So we, <laughs> we weren't a mix. But it's a, it's a very strong tea. If it, it can be drunk, actually, both with or without sugar. I actually like it uh, very bitter. And it's actually, if you have it without sugar, it's surprisingly bitter. So yeah, I invite people to give it a try. Nowadays, you can buy everything on Amazon. The, you know, the, the mate, the bombilla, the reserva, the leaves. And it, as you mentioned, it has a lot of caffeine, but it's a, yeah, a lovely drink. And for many, many years, actually, for me, it was a kind of a whole mystery to get it right. Because although the audience members already heard, the amount of ingredients are very few. We're talking about just the gourds, the leaves, and the bombilla. And despite that, at times, the matter would be delicious, and at other times, it would be barely drinkable. And that drove me nuts for many, many years, actually. And then I started to analyze what would happen. And so I started to analyze the shape, for example, of my mantis, which ones would work well. And then I started to realize that the ones that had a very wide bottom wouldn't work very well, that it had to be kind of a triangle upside down, and those would work out well. And also, and this is the most important thing, if some of you audience members want to give it a try, is the temperature of the water. That's key. And my kind of life as a cebador, the cebador is the person who makes the mate, changed drastically once I discovered the electric water heaters with the temperature setting. What's so, the temperature? Uh, the temperature, uh, I have one now that has 160 Fahrenheit, 160. of course. 160 and that works very well then you don't get that excessive bitterness and the, the mate lasts longer and it's uh, smoother rather than having something that will last only five mates and it's going to be horribly bitter 
So you don't boil the water because that's how I've been doing it. You know, oh, no, no, no. Again, you know. Oh, no, no. It has to be way below actually boiling. Yeah, I think you use, for example, for coffee, it's also below boiling, like I think 200 degrees. And this is 160, so it's way below. But actually, Mate has inspired a few pieces of mine, not so much for the Tang Ensemble, but for the big band. Actually, I wrote two pieces. The first one is called Mate Amargo or Bitter Mate. And then another one, when actually was uh, struggling with this, trying to figure out why some others would be so good and why, why others <laughs> wouldn't. Uh, and, you know, there is that whole kind of flamenco culture of the duende, that yeah, idea yeah. of this mystical creature that will show up and make things happen or not. So I wrote another piece called El Duende del Mate, which ah. also I wrote for my big band yeah, later yeah. on. Yes. So it is a, and it, it works is, both ways too, right? Because Duende also means like when you have charisma, when you have like that it factor. Mm-hmm. So El Mate actually has that. It's, a, it's not something that you would like at first try, right? Oh, no. Okay. It's like something that you grow to love. Yeah, it's an acquired taste. Actually, when I gave it to the piano player in my jazz ensemble, the guy is very American from Minnesota, and he put a you know really horrible face, and he said, "This tastes <laughs> like dirt." <laughs> so it is an acquired taste. Yeah, definitely, you have to get used to the bitterness. But eventually, I mean, a lot of on the other hand, the trombone player in my band, Brian Keverly, got totally hooked up with the mate and still drinks it. Give it a try. I would suggest people to give it a try and judge by themselves. I, I want people to understand. It's embedded in the culture in Argentina. One of the things that I found the most picturesque was the first time I went to Argentina and everybody's walking around with their thermos under their arm and their little gourd in their hands and just sipping mate. And that was like going everywhere, wherever you were going, you were like with that and your little gourd in your hand. And it's almost like here are people walking around with a Starbucks cup. But it's exactly yeah. It's really, really fascinating to watch. So the next thing that I want to talk about is I'm into politics. That's kind of like my thing, and I've been for a long time into the advocacy side of things. Not so much the politicians and all of that, but the advocacy and the citizen engagement piece of it. And as I was researching you, I came across this amazing thing that is called Rocos Cocos Tango. And with your name on it. And so talk to me about it. It's a play, isn't it? No, it's actually many things. And it's one of the things that I've worked on that I really like. It was a collaboration, actually. Mainly, it was the concept was created by the Nimbus Dance Company. The director's name is Samuel Pott. And he actually got together with, oh, I'm forgetting the last names, but Alicia, Rashad, and myself. Alicia was kind of in charge of the script. Rashad is a poet, spoken poetry, and myself as a musician, and of course, all the dancers. And we created all together, and it was a beautiful experience, this piece really to reflect the absurdity of the recent elections and what politics became in the US in the last, whatever, five years or so. I don't want to name anybody, but but we all know (laughs) who we're talking about. And it just, I don't know, for me as an immigrant, it just suddenly everything became so immensely absurd. And this piece actually makes a huge effort to show that kind of the whole process. But it had a very poetic aspect too. Of course, uh, the dance, contemporary dance uh, brought a completely different element. 
And there was a storyline that, in a way, it didn't obscure the, uh, but it just kind of made it richer in a somewhat different context to show what politics in America had become. And we actually finished the piece, I think, like 45 minutes before curtain time. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those processes. And it came out surprisingly well, but all of us agree that it would be lovely to be able to continue working on it. And I like to say to knead the dough of this piece and continue editing it and find what things worked or which ones could be improved. Uh, And we had a meeting with all the directors and writers and uh, we had a a screening. We watched the whole thing and we we put our input. Uh, So I'm very, very much looking forward to performing the piece again and it would be lovely for the people in the New York area if they could attend. Where is it playing? Well, at this point, we don't have any uh, scheduled events, but the debut of the piece was at the NJPAC, the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, which is a gorgeous venue. And so I think there are going to be some fundraisers soon to get the piece happening again. So I'll keep you posted. (laughs) Just raise the money online. I'm sure people will give you money on your fund me. I'm sure I'll give you money. (laughs) (laughs) So I just find it fascinating. The last five years were actually very surreal. And so for us to survive, and then we're still in that surrealness because of the pandemic. So it's still like there's a, there's a lingering effect. The surrealness is still, I don't know where this is going to end, but hopefully soon because um, going to see shows live is one of the joys of living in the city. In New York, and so that's the same. I cannot agree more. Yeah. You mentioned before, you know, and here's where we cheer, right? To your Grammys, to the Lincoln Center calling you, and you performing in all of these amazing venues. I follow you on Facebook and I see all of these things that you're doing. Tell me, how does it feel? I mean, you have this obvious talent, right? This, This gift. What is the thing that keeps you going? First of all, not that I agree with the talent portion, but no, but if you tell any you know musician that they're talented, they're going to ask you the same thing, which is it's just practicing and just being focused and working on your art every day. And that's what I do. And a lot of it also, you know, success is a very relative term, but I guess with what I have achieved, it's pretty much the result of a lot of work. It's just a lot of work that you have to, and I have to, in my case, I mean, we all have our own different battles. But in my case, I have to balance keeping in shape with my instrument, which takes a, a lot of time composing, trying to book the answer the band, but maintaining my social media, maintaining my website, working. I mean, there are many things. In addition to this, being a decent husband, being a decent father. So <laughs> there are a lot of things that we have to kind of find a way to balance. And the, yeah, the, the short answer is that all of those things take time, effort, focus and purpose. And that's what I try to do. It is not for me to judge if it's uh, good or bad, but that's where I put my efforts in. But for an immigrant to come here and to achieve all of these things that you've been able to achieve, that's the dream. That's what we all come here for, right? Yeah, but actually, sorry to interrupt, but there was something that you mentioned, which is if I had that kind of goal, if there's something that I'm aiming to, and that's actually, that doesn't work for me. I don't have those kind of goals. For me, it's something more very short-term oriented where there is kind of a constant aim or efforts to improve all the aspects, you know, to try to be a better bass player, better composer, better arranger, a better booking person, to try to negotiate my gigs every time better, to have a better website or to have a better social media platform, you know, 
all those things. I see it more as a micro efforts on a short term versus rather than long term, just like aiming. Okay, I want to play a sold out night at the big hall of uh, Carnegie Hall and in five years so that's not how I work so for me it's kind of a more of a daily discipline thing right well in, you didn't say it in those words but what I sense in what you're saying is that you have this love for the craft this love for the music itself and so everything that you're telling me that you dedicate and that you every day you do little things and this and that you're nourishing that passion of yours and that's the beautiful part of it and so when you do that on a consistent basis obviously you're going to become as good as you are all of us have natural talents right but if we don't work on it consistently and we don't polish it then the talent may even go away, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think of talent not so much as talent, but as a facility. For some people, it's easier to do certain things than others. But I cannot agree more with what you just said. I mean, I think nobody does all these things that most of us musicians do because it, it's so much. It, it entails so much a sacrifice that if you don't love it, I mean, nobody would do it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, I mean, we just spent all this time in our crafts just because we love it. And it's exactly as you mentioned, it's an effort of love. Beautiful. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I can sense it from you. And when I see you playing, you and the rest of the members of the band, it's almost like you radiate that passion and you can feel the difference from musicians that do it just for the money or for mm -hmm. whatever, for the game, right? <laughs> So that said, what would you say to, not necessarily to people who want to be musicians, but like to people who are here, who want to do something that they love, that they're passionate about, and that may not have the motivation. What is your message to the world? But the only, this is something that I think as a father, because I experienced it as a son, And I want to give the same kind of support as a parent that way, which is to really do what you love. I mean, just don't question that because, and it sounds privileged to be able to just go and do what you love. But if there is the situation to do that, for me, it's a no-brainer to really focus on that and not in any other aspects of success and money and those kind of things because what I'm about to say is so cheesy <laughs> but you know but you know we have only you know, lay it on there yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have you know only one life and if you spend so much time you know doing something that we don't really enjoy then it uh, I think it's in a way it's a very slow suicide I think it's really worth taking the time and finding what one truly loves, what brings joy to our hearts, what makes us radiate. There are many ways. I mean, what leaves us with an amazing aftertaste? What maybe there is something that causes us a lot of pain, but that once we're done, we're very gratified or satisfied. So find the drug. Uh, find the thing that makes it kind of addictive in a way uh, that you feel that you are really inspired to get better, that you want to spend the time naturally and not forcing that in a way. Although I have to force myself to practice every day. <laughs> so it's a, it's a difficult balance, yeah. Yeah, well, I think all of us, especially now, sometimes it's hard when you have to work from home and it's like, oh, you know, another day by myself at home and that kind of thing. And it's a little hard, but you have managed to keep that motivation. And that is a very inspirational thing, you know, even for me, like just hearing you talk about it, it's like, yeah, I should do that. You know, I should do that too. <laughs> 
Pedro, what is next for you? Do you have a new album coming up? When are you going to be at Barbies again so I can go see you? <laughs> well, you know, I've always working at this point. I'm always composing, always. Since the year 2000, I'm always composing, so I'm already thinking on the next album. There actually, today I confirmed that I'm going to be writing a piece to feature a really marvelous violin player, Philip Quint, who is one of the really first-line violin player, and he's going to do the premiere of one of my pieces. We're going to be playing some folk festivals in Montana. It looks like we're going to be going back to L.A., we are going to be doing something with the Association of Dominican Classical Musicians, Dominican Classical Musicians in uh, Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be May 26th. And then we always keep playing at the Barbes. That's our kind of uh, musical temple. That's where we go once a month and we play for a small audience. And I just love that room. Uh, there is something special about that room. If people were tempted with the music, you can always visit my website, pedrogirado.com, and find the calendar there, or follow us on social media. And it's Pedro Giraudo. I'm wasting time on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. I'm there. So yeah, I always announce our performances there. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. This was so much fun. And as you know, a big fan, but I'm going to put away the fangirly <laughs> right now and just thank you as a friend. I have come to know you a little bit and today I learned a lot more about you. So much more success to you. So of course, thank you very much for this opportunity and always happy to share what I do. For me, it's a privilege to be able to share what I do with your audience. So thank you so much for the invite and uh, of course, for me, it was a lot of fun as well. And promise you'll come back again another day. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime. You just uh, call right. the shop. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much. Beyond its undeniable artistry and depth, the real beauty in Pedro's music comes from his passion and dedication to his craft. Each one of his songs is a reminder of the amazing things we can create when we allow our vision to be the driver in our lives. Thank you for listening to One on One with Ilion. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. For more information and inspiration, join us again next week. To catch our latest, you can follow us on all socials at One on One with Ilion. That's it for this episode. See you next time.